So, uh, we are racing against time, the other activities that are following, and tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and then some of you, our beloved friends, will be traveling back to Quito. So, what we'll do, unless the Spirit says otherwise, we'll focus on the questions that have been submitted. But if really the Spirit is really pressing you to ask, I'll allow for that. As long as the Holy Spirit says, let's allow him. Pastor Said, welcome. I met him probably around 2008, and I'm introducing the question just like that. One thing that struck me about him, I don't know if you remember that time we visited with Kangwa. Okay. By the get, he was going out for a job. That's 2008. That's before the Lusaka Fitness Club, another thing. So the question for you is, where did you get that inspiration alone? <laughs> That's a good one. I was... I was um preparing myself for a theological question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I grew up very active. I, I loved sport. Um, in fact, when I was a young boy in primary, I was considered to be very dull. Uh, my father used to, to really spunk me a lot because he believed I was dull. I was not performing well at school. And really, I wasn't performing well at school. In my time, our classes, we used to be 42, 38. I would come back home rejoicing with my report form, give it to my dad to have a look, and he finds I'm number 38. <laughs> and he would spank me for it, and I, I would fail to understand. Look, I have the biggest number in class. Why are you spanking me? But uh, later on, uh, my parents came to learn, to learn two things. I was left-handed, and so I had a problem to learn things from right-handed teachers, which is a common problem for a lot of you who are left-handed here, because we learn in mirror image. So we struggle to learn at a tender age, to always reverse everything you are being taught, so that you may see it in your in your vantage point, and that's a hard work. So they later learned that, and then the second thing, they realized that I was very sporty. I was always having A plus on extracurricular activities, but C and F on curricular activities. So, so I loved sport. I've always said I finished my childhood syllabus. I did everything that's there for a young boy to do in terms of sport. I play too many sports. I think any sport that Zambia has to offer, I can still play. Except now that I'm this age, I will obviously struggle with the fitness side. So I realized there was need for me to, to develop some other things in terms of sports. So I started running. And uh, I've been running, like he says, for quite a long time. I look very heavy. I weigh 98 kg. But I still run, and so I love running. So the inspiration, I think it's, I don't know, but uh, I just do what I can do, so long as I do it right. Or maybe it's being left-handed. Are you right? <laughs> uh, Pastor Saidi, as many here can attest, we live in an internet world. We have free access to many things through the internet. One of the questions I want to ask, which is very, very helpful, I like to believe, is uh, how do we handle or how do we prevent a video from going viral that is scandalous in nature? What's the role of believers? I, I tend to think there's something that Christians must do in helping out a gym instructor or somebody else. What should we do? Is the question clear? It, it sounds IT, so... Okay. I, I, I'm not an IT specialist. Okay, let me break it down. Somebody does a video thinking it's only accessible to somebody whom they are very close to. It's scandalous. You can't show it in church. You can't share it on the Christian WhatsApp group. Upon receiving it as a Christian, what should you do as a young person? Should you say, let me send it to Kambuta also so that he knows what's happening in Ndola? 
or should I hold on to it? Um, I've always said there's this policy that Christians should have. I shan't policy. I shan't click. That's all. Uh, listen, uh, today I've talked about, about pornography a lot because that's a conference or yes, seminar I was doing last Friday. At our church we have what we call cutting edge and uh, the youths meet once every month for a cutting edge event. And the cutting edge is an event where youths gather just like this and we deal with a cutting edge problem among the youths. And cutting edge simply meaning the latest event, the latest lifestyle, the latest thing that youths are struggling with. And how can we deal with it? We shouldn't wait until it has eaten half of us. That's when we say there's an issue to deal with. So we call that event cutting edge. And so we meet once a month for cutting edge. And the cutting edge we had last Friday was on pornography. And so that's why it's very fresh in my mind. And this is, this is one thing I brought to the attention of the youths. Every pornographic site you go to, you are contributing in making that business become a very high business, whatever they call it in business. You are contributing to the trafficking of young ladies from some of the countries who are taken into as sex slaves because it's the pornography money that fans a lot of those cartels. You don't need to send them money. You just need to watch it on your gadget and it gets a notch for them and the network system and whatever else the IT guys can understand, it clicks a coin in their bank account. So, one policy that we brought about was the I shan't click policy. I won't click because every click I make by watching a porn site, I contribute to some innocent girl in some country in Africa who's being trafficked. And just think about it in heaven. The Lord comes and he raises every single person who contributed to that young girl being taken as a slave and half of your church rises. Think with me. I'll be painful. But actually as a church we financed the trafficking of our little girl. So, I shan't click is my policy. I won't click, meaning I won't press a button that will make me watch. I won't press a button that will make me send it to somebody else. And uh, I think that would be a responsible Christian who says, I will not, for the sake of the Lord's name, for the sake of my soul, and for the sake of another's soul. Okay. So my goal is to go through all this. So let me ask you if you can be also brief on some of this. Where you need to belong, I can understand that. All this? Yeah, they're quite, uh, they're just perfect. <laughs> the, the first one is actually a thank you note. Let me just read it first. Hello, Pastor Said Shepa. It's actually a quick, it's actually not a question, but a, a thank you remark. Personally, for uh, the wonderful preaching you have done. I'm feeling guilty, by the way, because it's true that I'm far away from God and I need to feel his touch once again in my life. You have done your part in encouraging and ministering to me. Now it's my turn to do my best once again. Thank you. God richly bless you. Thank you, Not. Thank you very much. Please don't throw it. Oh. Give it to me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. Help me. I apologize. Am I safe here? <laughs> You're not safe. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, so you can keep it. Thank you very much. This handwriting looks like a dear sister. Yeah. So, it's a sweet handwriting. Amen. <laughs> I really appreciate I don't take this lightly. And uh, it's, a, it's quite an encouragement. I will file it and uh, I will throw the words on my blog and on my Facebook page. Thank you very much, dear sister. God bless you. And uh, God loves you. And I love you too. Please don't stand and say, it's me. <laughs> Thank you. 
So let's begin with uh, the general uh, category. The first question is, uh, why is it important to know who you are? I suppose to know, they're referring to themselves, not you. To know who you are, meaning them. Okay. God created you with an identity. He didn't create, he didn't create us as uh, animals that we look like we are clones of each other. No. He says he has fearfully and wonderfully made you. He says he knows you by name. He says the one who knows every single hair on your head, he knows you with all the detail. He said it to David, he said it to Jeremiah, that while you were still in your mother's womb, I knew you. He says again in Psalms that in his weaving of you, he took careful um, approach to ensure that he weaves particularly you. And that's your identity in God's eyes. And so you have a responsibility to know your identity, not just that I'm Susie or John, but as who, do, who, I, who am I as far as God is concerned. And it's very, very important because it brings glory to God. Uh, the next one is, how can you know the voice of God? How can you recognize it? Well, you can just walk around and ask men to talk and finally you hear. Uh, I, I think that question is, it's figurative or it's metaphorical. I don't know what the word would be, but listen. The Bible communicates to us who God is by using human language. God doesn't have eyes, eyeballs that like we have but he sees. God doesn't have hands like we have, but he handles. God doesn't have feet like we have, but he moves from one place to another. God doesn't have ears, these instruments that we have, but he hears or he listens. And the point is, the Bible speaks a language that is human to communicate to us so that we may have a certain understanding of God. So when we talk of the voice of God, the voice of God, God speaks to us. Number one, he says in Hebrews chapter one, beginning at verse one to three, he says, in the, la in, in the latter days or in the former days, God spoke to men through the prophets, but he has spoken in our time through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the voice of God, number one, is in God's word. If you are going to search for God's voice by trying to hear God, you close your eyes and hope you will hear it, you won't. Most probably whatever you hear is born out of your imagination. Can God speak audibly? Yes, he can. Why do I say so? Because he's sovereign. He has the ability. Has he chosen to speak audibly now? I think I would say no. Because he has already told me in his word. I have the sufficiency of the scriptures. It is complete. It is enough. I need no other argument. It is there in God's word. So that's the voice of God. Secondly, God speaks through other people. He may come to inquire from me. I may go to inquire from him. The advice, the language or the talk we may have the spiritual aspect to which I am communicating or is communicating that help is an element of God's voice. So, it has that figurative aspect. So, if you want to hear God's voice, begin in the Bible. That's why uh, Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk, who does not stand, who does not sit. Okay? Referring to wicked sinners and scoffers because they provide a particular counsel and so you avoid that counseling from such people but you get God's word as your counsel and that's where there is God's voice Pastor, just, just a clarification on that God being sovereign suppose he decided to speak to somebody audibly and it perfectly agrees with the scriptures how would you handle that? Okay, that's a good one. I think I would be, I would not question, but I would also struggle to agree. Because I would question, why would God 
not lead that person to go and read the scriptures, and he himself doesn't speak to the person using his scriptures and goes and puts a voice elsewhere and speaks to him. So I will have a problem. Because I would say, but it's already there in the Bible. Okay? The Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not steal. Do I really need another voice to come from a tree somewhere and to say, thou shalt not steal? Uh -huh. God has spoken, thou shalt not steal. No, no. But it has always been there in the Bible. God has always spoken. If I read it, the issue is not God. The issue is my failure to be responsible to listen to God from His Word. Thank you. Thank you for that. I hope that's helpful. Uh, the next question is about circumcision. Somebody was circumcised at 8 years old. They are now 18. Most likely they are here. But they are struggling to understand the Christian perspective. Then they add this element. Isn't circumcision now pictured by the new creation? That's the question they have. Okay. That's a good one, eh? <laughs> Eighteen-year-old theologian. I'm not a biology teacher. <laughs> well, um, firstly, in what circumstances were you circumcised? Was it a Christian ritual? It appears it was a Christian ritual. From okay. Right? Yeah. From Christian side. Okay. Um, then I think, again, I'll still ask, because here's the point. Uh, circumcision had a significant attachment to God's relationship with the Jews in the Old Testament. And the Hebrews picked that because God himself said they must be circumcised at, on the eighth day. That significance which pertained to the Hebrews was definitely taken up by the Christians. And application is that it is not a spiritual, it has no spiritual implication right now because Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf. I don't need to wrestle with the law. Christ has fulfilled it. My obedience to the law is by me following Christ. Okay? I cannot obey on my own. I will fail. But through Christ, who gave me his righteousness and took my sinfulness, has given and has enabled me to live an obedient life. If I get physically circumcised, whether there was a Christian ritual in its impl impl implementation when I was young, does not still suffice. It's like when I was baptized as a child with a Christian implication, but doctrinally it fell through. I think for those who are circumcised today, I would say it has nothing to do with your spiritual implication. It has everything to do with your moral aspect and with your, the benefits of circumcision. There are a lot of benefits from circumcision. And uh, firstly, they would circumcise at eight days. You know why? Science has proven that at eight days, that's when you bleed the less and the blood clots the highest and the pain is the lowest. Whatever is the biological explanation, I don't know. But it appears at eight days, circumcision or piercing of ears, you literally do not respond to pain as you would after or before. So the Lord was wise biologically. Um, when you come to the implications of circumcision, towards the, the marital side of things, those who are circumcised have a different testimony compared to those who are not circumcised. It is part of also the hygiene aspect of men. Those who are circumcised have literally, sorry with respect, very minimal, if not absolutely no order. Those who are not circumcised, there's a bit of a difference. Okay, and you find the other camp seems to have some benefit. And the 21st century implied benefit. <laughs> okay, I can see signals back and forth here. Okay, people are becoming sensitive. I'm not a biology teacher. Yeah. I was almost saying, okay, okay. <laughs> 
The next we will take it as a cutting edge soon, so come to Evangel and you will participate. Yeah. The, the next two set of questions are very interesting. The first one is, why do girls say they have a boyfriend when in actual fact they don't have? Then, and then let, let's hear the next question. The, the next question is, is rather a standalone question because you went to Revelation. They want to know what it means when the Lord takes away the lampstand. Now I know the question about uh, why girls say that. Even me, I can answer it, but I'll leave it to you. <laughs> all right, the girls one. I think first of all, it's not it's not representative to every girl. Yeah. That's true, girls. At least you can say yes, Pastor. Also, yes. oh, they're this side. <laughs> I, I think it's just a situation when certain girls get into a certain age, they want to fit in. So everybody's talking about a boyfriend, girlfriend, so they also want to sound like they have one. And so they have a fictitious, imaginary boyfriend, especially. Just like girls do when they are young, they always have an imaginary friend, eh? And it seems it comes even to that age, so that's all right. The second one again was... Uh, so on, on the girls one, could it also be that they don't want the guy? Yes! Oh. Okay. But they need to be true, so you can tell them. Huh? Okay, that one I... I find it strange that all of you rejoice in a lie. <laughs> I think just tell the guy. Listen, girls, if you don't like the guy, just tell him. In a loving way. Just tell him. Don't write it on a tissue. <laughs> just, just let the brother know, you know what, brother, I love you so much. The Lord has created you so well. You are well. I mean, your dimensions and the wow, but you and I do not agree and uh, oh, the Lord, I don't think the Lord has led me to you. So just be kind and if you can, point the brother to another sister. If you can, but don't lie. Don't tell a lie. Okay, don't tell a lie. Do you know what? If you are going to enter into a relationship, find an accountability person, especially those who are older than you. Oh, this brother has approached me and wants me to get into a relationship. Please help me. Don't let Telemundo tell you what to do. So the next question is about the lampstand. What's the implication or the meaning that the Lord has removed the lampstand? What does it mean? I think he doesn't say he removes the lampstand. No. Says, in an event that he removes, he, he warns them that he remove. But in an event that he removes, what does it mean? You know, I think the Bible tells us that he warns that he will remove you and uh, he, will, he will cause the church to stop shining or glowing as a star. But we don't read anywhere in the Bible where he tells us that he has removed However, listen, I think that may be directed to maybe a local church. I don't know. I'm ignorant at this stage unless I go and study again. But I would, say, I would think that when the Lord implies that, he's simply withdrawing his hand upon a local church. And when he withdraws his hand, we borrow the Old Testament term, Echabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. And when you go in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord was here in the, in the Holy of Holies and it moved out and eventually to the door and eventually outside and God was gone. And the rest of the congregation did not even see it. They continued with their rituals, but God's glory has departed. I think that can happen even in our time when a church has gone apostate and has loved the world and has denied the doctrine of the faith and has rejected Christ, God will remove his hand. The congregation can even be growing in number with a lot of religious activities, 
But the presence of God departed a long time ago. And I, I would say maybe that's what it would mean. Okay? So, Ichabod season 2, right? I don't know about the season 2. The, the next question is uh, one that I read earlier on. It's, uh, you mentioned something about Telemundo. So the person would like to know, what's wrong with a Christian watching Telemundo? I don't watch Telemundo, so I don't know. <laughs> the very fact that you have a problem with it, you definitely know there's a problem. Listen, anything we watch, anything we listen to, anything we read, that does not communicate the moral order of God's word. As a Christian, you must be sensitive against it. So, if Telemundo is going to show you a girl being a girlfriend to two men, what's right about that? Hello? What's right about that? If a girl is going to be an uncle's girlfriend and later on a nephew's girlfriend, What's right about that? Can you accept being a, your uncle's boyfriend and your, uncle, your cousin's girlfriend? It doesn't work. So why, why should something that communicates something that is against the normal order that the Bible teaches that this should be our morality, we should turn around and embrace it as something that should entertain us? And sorry to say friends, but it's not just Telemundo. There are a lot of soap operas and other, other videos out there that you and I must keep away from. For example, there are movies that you watch. It's all about cursing. It's just cursing. And there's a lot of bad language. And then you as a Christian, you say, no, me, I'm just following the story. Obviously, there is a problem there. So, I'll try and read at least two that are related. One says, is it okay to admire a boy or a girl, but don't have intentions of dating them? The second one says, is it okay to admire more than two guys or girls with the intention of being with both? Hey. Both of them as your girlfriend and boyfriend. So let's start with the earlier one, which says, is it okay to just admire one of the opposite sex and not have intentions of dating them? All right. Um, listen, friends. It's not just about asking a question. It's about thinking right. Okay? It's not just a name possible to push So if you, uh, you have confidence enough, the one who wrote this, Please, before I go, just see me in person, and I will help you. Because what has been read, honestly speaking, it's Telemundo. <laughs> it's all just the magic of, why are we ma machining? No, you know, I love this one, but this one I just like him, but I can have both this one for Saturday, this one for Monday, and... No, friends. No, friends. It doesn't make sense. Alright? Let's be real. Let's get, let's get back to what the Bible says. One woman, one man. That doesn't just mean in marriage alone. Even in relationship. Don't relate intimately or closely with more than two women. It's one at a time. If it works, praise the Lord, go with it into marriage. If it doesn't work, end it with love and be on leave for some time until you recover emotionally and all before you jump into another one. Not only do you recover emotionally, listen, I always tell my youths at church that before you enter a relationship, ask yourself, am I ready emotionally? Am I ready spiritually? Am I ready academically? Am I ready socially? Ask yourself. 
approach Telemundo today, you want to be in a relationship tomorrow, you ask such questions. So please come and talk to me. I would love to. She's lifting up her hand. Oh, oh. oh, I'm saying I thought you were lifting to ask. Oh, okay. Okay, listen, quick one. Hello, give the young lady chance. Okay, what you are trying to say is, it's the, you, are, you, are, you are misusing the word. It, it's, ah, no, let me help you. It's okay to appreciate others. You are looking good. Oh, I appreciate you, what you're wearing. Oh, wow. There's nothing wrong with that. But the word admire, I don't know whether it's being used connotatively, meaning how we use it in our language. And among youths, it suggests to admire with intention to be in a relationship. Okay, now that's why I'm saying the word should be to appreciate. So let's, let's move on to the next two questions as, as we plan through this question. You have a question there? Yeah. Oh, okay. the, the next question is about... Um, yeah, thank you. Can you hear me at the back though? The next question is about um, a boy and a girl. They both know sexual intimacy before marriage is wrong. But the boy keeps asking and then the girl keeps saying no, but she's worried she might lose him and hurt his feelings. How can you help that? that that's the first one. Okay, let, let's go to the next question. Just, just hold on to that. The next one is, um, what would be the best way to resolve a trust issue? So let's talk about the one who's demanding for sex. They both know it's wrong. She's afraid of losing him and also... Uh, hurting his feelings. The other one is, how can you restore a trust issue? All right. You know, for that one, I'm going to stand. <laughs> Listen, girls, are we there? Yes. Okay, it's louder here than this side. Ladies, are you there? Yes. Listen very carefully. If you have a guy who keeps demanding for sex and you refused enough once okay second time really okay third time slap him in the face to show you by having sex with you. If you love me, wait. If you can't wait, carry your weight away from me. Don't hang around. Hey, You're wasting your time. The guy is he's just another wolf. If he asks first time, probably he's struggling with this issue. Be kind, refuse. He asks second time, advise him, you know what, I think we are about to cross the path. Let's see if somebody will help us. Third time, it shows you. It may be he's been asking somewhere and he's been getting it. Or he's been fading and you're just on the list. Here's the sad part. How will you trust him when you get married? Hello? And he has gone to work in Kitu and you live in Livingston. If he was persistent to you before marriage and you gave in 
and he became a lifestyle and he's got used to you and he goes to work out of town, what's the assurance? Alright, I'm being hard, eh? Guys, here's the advice for you. Don't ask. Just keep it for that day, you know. In fact, you'll be proud. In fact, you know what's going to help you guys? Go to your friend and tell her, you know what? I just want you to know that I'm going to be sexually strong for your sake because I love you. Don't you dare tempt me to ask you. But you know your weakness and you're simply asking that to help you to be strong. So, let me just uh, read through the questions about sin. They're quite related, so I'll read through all of them and then we'll move on. Pastor, I'd like to find out about how I can fight through your current sin. The other one says, how can I overcome temptation? This one says, how can a youth avoid sensual sin with things, what things would you help them with? Um, what strategies can they use in, uh, in the youth ministry? Then this particular one says, is it, is it then possible or okay for a person to always or maybe after a while have that moment when they feel like the worst of sinners and invite God to come in their lives once again? This last one says, on this batch at least, it says, as for us Christians, how many types of loves do we have? Do we have love that manifests in all areas, um, or each area, field, and so on and so forth? The last one says, what does God mean when he says, I love you? If God is love, then what does it mean to say, I love you? So I can be reminding you as you are answering those questions. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's quite a... Uh... It's a loaded question. Okay, let's let's begin with sin. Okay, um, we all struggle with besetting sin. Besetting sin. Let me simplify it this way. Let's say before you became a Christian, you were really enslaved to smoking, for example. Okay. Um, or alcohol, or just telling lies, and there was an addiction to it. Oh, they may have not been. You become a Christian. Your weakest area that the devil knows that he would love to trap you is what you did the most, or what you were fond of before you became a Christian. And that will occasionally come to you. And so there will be quite a period in which you will be trying to be victorious over that sin. And then there are certain sins that may just never affect you. Here's a good example. I have never drunk alcohol in my life. And that doesn't mean there's anything special about me, no. It's simply because I was introduced to sport as early as grade 4, grade 5. And my coach at that early, he used to tell us two things. He said, keep away from wine and alcohol and keep away from girls. Don't sleep with girls, don't drink alcohol because they won't, they'll weaken your sporting abilities. So we kept away from alcohol, even in a primary, secondary, anything to do with alcohol. And I wasn't a Christian. When I became a Christian, I later learned the Christian position and it was just a strength. So for me today, if you ever brought alcohol to me, I will never be tempted. Well, I was tempted once. And I was a pastor. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I'm tempted not so much to drink, but this advert on most has done a good job. <laughs> I just came back from playing football and the Mossy advert was on TV and they showed it with all the coldness, the chew around it. And that's what I was longing for. And I said to my wife, I said, can you imagine what it does to people who drink alcohol? Yeah. The moment they watch the advert, they want to buy it. And they go to a drinking place to have it. If I had an alcohol issue when I was young or in my previous life, that becomes what would be termed the besetting sin 
that will always torment me until through Christ I have victory over it. Now, I'm reading a book for my own soul. It is called Disciplines of a Godly Man. Okay? It's a very good book. If you've got your hands on it, it's a good book to read. I'm reading it for the second time in my life. In that book, the writer says, Sin comes through the mere senses that you have. Smell, hearing, seeing, touching, tasting. And it makes its way through that. So, if you are having some temptation in a certain way, you need to find out, how do I expose myself to those preliminary moments that this sin begins to make its way to me? So if it's going to a certain place, you begin to avoid that place. If it's something that you listen to as music or on your gadget, you stop listening to it. If it's Telemundo that you're always watching, you stop watching it. And you try to keep away, but always rely on God who promises that He will give you the victory. Pray about it. But there are others that we do, perhaps in the private section of our lives. Sorry to say, but it's a very common thing among young boys and girls, especially the boys. The issue of masturbation. And it becomes a very big thing in your life. And it hooks you. And it eventually leads you to sexual sin. In such moments, make yourself available to a spiritual leader at your church. Let him talk to you. Don't just keep it private. Go in confidence. Sit with somebody. Talk about it. Pray with them. Let them become your accountability partner. That you're always, they're always asking you, have you done it? Are you still going that area? How are you surviving? How is the victory coming? Let's pray about it. Let's read scripture. Let's read an article. And let's avoid being in such secluded places at a very wrong time of the day. Such things are going to help you run away from temptation. So we only have five more questions. We've done very well. But let me do this. Let me ask these two. Then you can give some good, short, precise answers. Then we move to the last three. Sorry, I'm never short. I'll try. <laughs> so this other one says, um, the person is 15 years old. Uh, they've been baptized. They are saved all right. But because of certain lifestyle, the parents are worried. They've talked to them. No change is coming forth. And I like the way they've ended. Let me just read the way they've ended at the end. It says, Pastor, please, tell God to help me. Please, Pastor, tell God on my behalf. Yeah, so with that background, 15 years old, saved, baptized, but the lifestyle is not corresponding. Boy or girl? Uh, looks like a girl. Sweet handwriting. Okay. Yeah, then the next one is, I'm a bit confused. Uh, young friend, can we meet after? Your question just doesn't need to be dealt with publicly, okay? Yeah. Wherever you are, um, if we can meet after this whole thing, let's go and talk in the office. Yeah. I would rather help you privately than just make your question a public matter, okay? Sure. The, the other question is about a backslider who dies in a state of sin. The question is, does God save such a one and they've indicated like Bash John. Bash John was not a believer, right? Okay, Bash John was never saved. Okay. He was very religious but not saved. Okay. So suppose somebody is backslidden, but they were professing believers and they die in that state. Alright, that's a good question. It's like asking where do babies go if a baby dies? Um, I'll try to be brief. Listen. First of all, the Bible hasn't told us. Now, the fact that God hasn't told us in His Word doesn't mean God doesn't know. There's a reason why God has kept that away from us. Okay? Uh, let me begin with a doctrinal perspective. Number one, if you believe in eternal security and you believe in the perseverance of the saints, and you believe in once saved, always saved, you will have a certain doctrinal conclusion. 
If you believe in Christians lose their salvation, I think there was another question there earlier on which said, should I ask God to come into my heart again? again. That suggests that whoever asks may either believe in the fact that Christians can lose their salvation and so they need to be born again and again and again, you will have a certain conclusion. So, if you believe that Christians lose their salvation and you die in a backslidden state, what do you think is the end? Hell, you've already lost your salvation, right? Do we really believe the Bible teaches that? I don't think so. If you believe in eternal security and all, here is your tension. The tension is, but this guy is backslidden, he's living in sin. It is unfair. He dies in sin and goes to heaven. And us, we've been trying to live holy lives. And we haven't even done some of his sins. And we all find ourselves in the same place. Ah, Shadma guys, not with Sanaifway. Ah, it's very unfair. What the Bible has not done is this. God has told us how he receives saints when they die. There's a heavy welcome in heaven. Heaven rejoices. God has told us how he receives when martyrs die. And we see how he received Stephen. That's the only passage in scripture. When a believer was being stoned for Christ, Christ stood up from his throne. That's the only passage in the Bible. Tells us that Stephen looked up and said, I see Jesus standing from his throne. It's like, it's a joyous moment to the Lord. That there is a standing ovation for a sinner dying on earth. For Christ. That's very unique. The Bible therefore has never told us how heaven responds when a saint dies in sin. That is the secret of God. I don't know how you will be received. Whether heaven will say, well, a guy lies. <laughs> assembly to welcome Brother John in heaven. The Bible doesn't tell us. Or maybe you walk into heaven very shy. Where is everybody? And the angels point to you using their chin. We are not told. So it is not a good place to be. That's why the Bible says when you hear the gospel, repent when? Now. Today is the day of salvation. When you realize your sin, do what? Repent. Now, so the Bible hasn't told us how he receives Christians who dies in sin, but here is my confidence. When a Christian dies in sin, I believe God takes him to himself. And part of God's redemption is to take them out of this world because they have become, sin is going to prove to be victorious over them. And God shortens their life so as to safeguard them and take them away from the world of sin to put them to put him to his side. Thank you. The next two questions are about worldlings. One says, why is it wrong to listen to worldly music? The other one says, if your roommates are forever playing worldly music, how can you tune them out? I'm using another word there. How can you tune them out? Okay. I'll start with the second one. Ask yourself, is it in your power to change rooms? For example, you go to a college and there's always worldly music. And if it's in your power to shift rooms because you are protecting your soul from being tainted from that music, that would be a great opportunity to use that privilege. But if it's not in your power to change rooms and they keep on Yes, number one, pray for them. Number two, go talk to your parents to come and talk to the administration so that they attend to your soul. 
You just have to flee and keep away if you can. I had my roommate when I was at campus who was not a Christian. I had a, by then we used to have radio cassettes. I had one in my room and I didn't stop him from using it. But I told him, I said, you know my roomie, you know I'm a Christian and you playing your rumba and all this music on my machine, honestly speaking, it will be offensive because I use this machine to glorify God. And so I can't afford to use my machine to glorify self or the evil one. So I love you, brother, but just be very sensitive to what you want to play on my machine. He never played. He switched on the radio freely. He listened, but because he respected what I said, he never played his music on my machine. And we were never enemies. And I lovingly said it so. And he finally got his machine. Even when he finally got his machine, he played his music with caution because he cared about my heart. Until the following year, we went in different rooms. Second one, listening to worldly music or non-Christian music. Music is a very sensitive area. First of all, before we even go to worldly music, Within the Christian family, we struggle to listen to certain music of other musicians. Because we are sensitive to what that music is going to communicate about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and about the doctrines that we believe. We'll be sensitive to that. Secondly, we'll be sensitive to what is called genre or style. Because some styles are so designed just to raise my emotional side and it has no spiritual benefit. Okay? And so I will be very sensitive. Sorry to say I'm not the pastor of this church, but that's one of the work that the musicians who sit here must definitely have. Because today a lot of churches don't have the power of God, they have the power of music. And music can have such a power and cause you to think God is present, but God is totally absent. It is just the power of music. So this theme, this side, is ought, ought to always be sensitive with how they, they cook the music for us. Okay? So music is a very sensitive place. So now, to jump the fence and go and talk about worldly music out there, it just becomes another story. You just can't go there. Now, even out there, there is music that we can listen to, especially that which is communicating, there's what they call folk music, traditional music, cultural music, and uh, I don't know, but communicating just the normal lifestyle of humanity and situation, yes. But you know, it's again a sensitive area. So you really have to draw your parameters, what music you listen to. Okay, and uh, they said the, the, the combination of, some music don't do anything, but they just make you become so emotional. In generous, quick one. Did you know that without words, some music can make you cry? And some music can make you want to have a sexual act? And when I say music, I'm not talking about the words, I'm talking about the instrumentation and how these guys are able to combine to produce certain music. And some music can make you become very angry and want to attack. So music has really got an effect on how we think, reason, react, emotion. So pick your music and make sure that whatever music you are picking, and putting together for yourself is that what is it's that which nourishes your soul. It can yes have an emotional effect, but it's not emotions that cause you to go out of line. I listen to music a lot. I have particular music in my in my gadget that I call reading music. I play it when I'm reading, and it's very instrumental because I listen to a good number of classical music and instrumental music and all, gospel instrumental music. And then I have music that I play when I'm running. 
because it puts me, makes me go at that pace, and I go with it. But I'm also sensitive to the content of that music because it is gospel or it is Christian, and then some other time it may not be Christian, but it is instrumental, and my use of that is the music part that causes me to run long distance. So music is really a wide topic, but I hope that helps you a little bit. Does it? I think so. I think so. Second last question is, um, here's somebody who says they know, okay, how can they help somebody who is caught up in pornography, the person or the victim knows that pornography is wrong, they confess it every so often, and then each time they do that, they still find themselves going back to it. So you can address that, then we'll go to the final question. Yeah, I, I would... Um, the pornography topic is a big one. I can't just rush through it. Because pornography has two effects on you. It has the mental and emotional effect on you, and then it has a biological effect on you. So, the mental or emotional spiritual side is that which you relate with the fact that it is wrong, and I shouldn't do it, but I'm tempted to do it again and again. The biological effect is that in your brain, where there is some encoding that goes on, pornography sticks to that place of your brain as strong as things like cocaine, ichamba, uh, drinking insunko or alcohol, the effect they have on your brain, amazing. Are you with me? Amazing. The effect that cocaine, smoking ichamba and all those can have on your brain, it is equal to that, the effect that pornography has on your brain. That's the biological side. And it becomes so gripping, so addictive, as much as cocaine and these other drugs can be. So, you can see a guy there in the trenches smoking marijuana, and you are busy watching pornography. Sorry to say, the truth is, you have the same biological problem, and you are suffering with the same effects. That's the weight of pornography on you. So when you begin to withdraw from it, you even have withdrawal symptoms, like the one who struggles to withdraw from alcohol. And you are there trying to watch, and they're saying, well, but... And the other guy is also trying to smoke, ah, just a little smoke, the same effect. So pornography has got, that's why in our last... In our last uh, cutting edge that I told you, we were calling it pandemic, the new drug. Okay? And it is really a drug that is affecting a lot of young people. So, really, I would say visit your pastor, your leader, and talk to somebody about it. Commit it to the Lord. Begin to, if it means get rid of your phone, do that. If it means put some filters on your phone, on your computer, please do that and get the password, pass it on to somebody else so that you may never want to change the password later on. That would be one of the ways that you can begin to withdraw from it. And replace it with hanging around with good friends, watching together. If you have a laptop, don't always sit against the wall. Turn around and always have your laptop in such a way that even a person is passing, they can easily see what's going on so that you avoid being secretive and all those kind of things. Those are some of the things that can help. In fact, they added the, this element, how can they be delivered? So I'm sure they're coming from a certain background. I don't know how you can answer that. I think uh, that's, a, that's a, as the American baseball players would say, that's a curved ball that is being thrown into the discussion. Because the word deliverance already brings in another topic. I know our friends from the other camp who talk about deliverance, meaning go to a church, be prayed for over particular sessions, and eventually be set free. The danger with that is your commitment to your deliverance is not to God, 
Your commitment to the deliverance is to that man of God. So if I sin again, guess where I have to run to? Man of God. If I sin again, where do I have to run to? Man of God. If I live in Livingstone now and I sin and my man of God is in Chidelabombo, I begin to raise money to go where? Chidelabombo. So deliverance must always be related with the fact that the deliverer is Jesus Christ. And the deliverance, I will say it in two forms. One, we receive this initial deliverance when we become Christians. That is the deliverance that we have. The secondary one, which is used wrongly at times, but I'll explain it in that context, is the idea people tend to look at the fact that this thing gripped me, now I am free from it. Meaning I am withdrawn from its, its addiction or withdrawn from its attack and all. That kind of deliverance should be perceived with the idea that it is something that happens to me if I commit myself to God. There is a hymn that we sing that um, it says there is a way in which I can flee sin. If I increase my move to God, sin begins to withdraw from me. So at times it's not just dealing with the sin, trying to punch it and tell it, get away from me. No, it's even when the sin is holding me by my side, but I am going to the Lord. And when that move to the Lord increases, the sin begins to withdraw. Thank you. Let me just read the last question. It says, my question is, how can you help somebody you stay with, but doesn't read the Bible, no prayer, but is so obsessed with the phone, he can be on WhatsApp five to six hours, but he goes to church Sunday service every Sunday. Then the basic assumption is, when you go to church, the usage of WhatsApp will be mitigated, and we can take it up. Uh, firstly, I don't know what they watch on or do on their phone. You know what? WhatsApp. Okay, WhatsApp. Uh, from a general side, these gadgets can be used for good or for bad. Right? Do you agree? This you can nod your head. Um, here's the thing. I can have my Bible on my phone, right? I am doing school right now. I'm doing my Master's in Divinity. And my school is online. And I do my school on my computer, on my tablet, and on my phone. The other day I had an exam. And I just was, was busy with ministry, but the exam was waiting for me, running back and forth. And eventually the exam time came because it's online. I have to write it in real time. I had to go and sit somewhere and put my phone because that's all I had went on the internet and for one hour I was writing my exam on the phone. Somebody could have come, which my wife did and my kids came, and they saw me, I was on the phone for a long time. Eventually my wife came over and said, you know what, you've been, before she could say, I said, exam. Oh, oh, oh. And she went away, okay? And I continued my exam on my phone. Okay, so these gadgets can be used for good, but also can be used for bad. I, I don't know, again, the relationship between you and that person. I don't even know whether they are Christian or not. I think the best that you can do is talk about it. Engage them. If they refuse and they are just there, maybe they are having a certain level of addiction. Tell them that they need a counselor. They need a Christian to talk to them. Your elder church, your youth leader. Uh, bring to them elements that you will try to see, to cause them to see something nice elsewhere. I am always on WhatsApp. But this is what I do on WhatsApp. I have the church congregation on my WhatsApp. And I send my morning dine, that's what I call it, morning dine, uh, where I dine with the church, meaning I write articles on WhatsApp, and then I send to the whole church to read, I send announcements, I send a lot of information to members one-on-one -on -one and to the group. 
Somebody can come and say, Pastor is always on WhatsApp. But the truth is I'm working. I've simply taken advantage of the internet working that WhatsApp has brought to me. I'm not just there enjoying videos and jokes endlessly. In that context, it is being used for good. I know of another pastor who always puts his sermon on his phone and he preaches from his phone. Using the gadgets wisely. But if it's being used for wrong, help your friend to see the wrong and guide them to the right thing. So I am very careful before I trash the use of these gadgets because there is a certain measure of good that we can take advantage of. Pastor Saidi, thank you so much. It's been wonderful interviewing you. And thank you so much for the question that you sent. I don't be able to say thank you. You can do that as well. Thank you, Brother Andrew. It's been a joy, all of you. I look forward to another moment. I just feel like being here the whole evening, but the Lord has brought it to an end.